Θα ήταν κάποια Κυριακή, κάποια Δευτέρα Σε κάποιο πείμα του Λόρκα, στους Πίνα και στου Ριβέρα Στη θάλασσα του... Welcome to your new episode of Lennonshake's Radio I am Robby, one of your hosts today And I'm joined by Yoni Hello We will talk today about worker self-management at the occupied factory of Viome in Thessaloniki. To help us along with the discussion, we'll also have a guest host, Tanya Strizu, who is a comrade of mine in Timisoara. We do political work here locally uh, in various groups and contexts. She visited uh, Viome a few months ago in relation to her academic studies. Hello, my name is Tanya, and thank you very much for inviting me to the podcast. Today, we'll be talking to Efrosini, who's a cooperative worker at the Viome Occupied uh, Factory. And she'll tell us the full story of how the factory was occupied by its workers during the economic crisis in uh, Greece. We'll find out just what challenges they faced, what the organizational models were, and more importantly, how it is to work in a cooperative today uh, without bosses and with constantly facing the challenge of being uh, evacuated, how one builds solidarity between uh, occupied factory and radical groups, but also what some of the criticisms that they faced were. And, of course, uh, we'll find out just how we can support the workers at uh, Viome. We hope you have a good time. Listen to them. Sloths. Children of the night. What music they Thanks so much for accepting our invitation. I think the story of VOMA is something that has influenced our journeys as leftists, I think for all of us, definitely for me. To kick things off, would you like to say a few things about yourself and about VOMA? Hello, everyone, and uh, thank you very much for inviting us to your podcast. We appreciate it a lot, and uh, we hope that we will give you all a glimpse of our experience and our struggle. I am a Frusini. And I am a chemist here at the factory and the cooperative. And I will be speaking on behalf of the workers at uh, Viome. Generally, if you don't know about uh, the factory, it was a factory producing building materials. And uh, sometime in May 2011, the managers of the mother company filed for bankruptcy. The workers were left unpaid for many months, facing the terror of unemployment, especially when the crisis in Greece was at its peak. The union of the workers decided, after many assemblies, to take the means of production in their hands and begin working the factory again. Now, eight years have gone since then that we fully work as a cooperative inside the occupied factory. That's a small presentation of the history. I remember first reading about Viome in uh, Naomi Klein's books and then the documentary The Take, which is done by Naomi Klein and her partner. This was quite a few years ago. So, yeah, it's very inspiring that Viome is still operational and still in worker hands. Do you want to tell us a bit more about the history? What year exactly was the occupation and how? what were the conditions leading up to it? And how did the decision to go for it, to occupy the factory, uh, how was it taken? How did it arise? From uh, like all workers have told me, there were many months at the previous uh, factory that they were working. They were unpaid for many months. They couldn't get vacation pays. And the workers' union had many assemblies to decide how to pressure the owners into giving them what they had in all those months. And uh, then suddenly the owner decided to file for bankruptcy and just left the factory. He left to Switzerland and uh, he left unpaid all the workers. It was in the beginning a mother company, Filgeram, and then it had two daughter companies. The one was called Viome and the other Epocopus. And uh, as I said, they were producing uh, building materials. When the bankruptcy happened, the workers had many assemblies to decide what they were going to do. 
of course, they were thinking that it's almost impossible to find a job in the midst of the economical crisis then. And they thought of the occupation of the factory and taking the means of production in their hands as the only way to survive in that period. They were the ones that knew how everything worked. And with that in mind, they thought of uh, occupying the factory. They stayed many days here, guarding everything, all the raw materials, all the equipment, so that nothing could be taken away. And after around a year and a half, where they were trying to find some uh, legal advice and uh, also decide what to do with the factory in a way that it was close to the society, because the decision to occupy the factory was very much supported by the society and all the social movements here at Thessaloniki. So from the beginning, in their minds, in our minds, we had a factory that was open to society and that was in contact with it. And after many assemblies with uh, social movements, it was decided that the new products that the factory would be producing would be cleaning materials, natural cleaning materials. The marketing in those areas is very tricky, and they didn't want to take advantage of that, of course, as many other companies did. And it is a product that everyone needs in their house, and no one needs a huge amount to just be clean. So with that in mind, that's how everything uh, started. Most of the workers, they weren't familiar with the term of self-management, but in order to not repeat what had happened, and in order to be able to decide for everything that has to do with your job, they decided to run things this way, just like they did with the workers' union when it started from 2002. So that's kind of how it happened. There was a lot of calling for support from abroad, from movements. Little by little, everyone helped. And in 2013, the cooperative was created and the production officially started again. Quite impressive. And hello again, Afrasini. It's nice to see you. Well, to hear you. So, as pointed out in the mentioned documentary, you draw inspiration partly from the Argentinian occupied factories. Do you want to trace out what connections are there with Argentinian comrades, or do you have any other sources, historical or present, that you draw inspiration from as a cooperative? At Argentina, we went there during the workers' occupied factories global meeting. The connection began a little earlier before we went there to meet them. Some co-workers shared the word that this uh, struggle has begun in Thessaloniki. And from many contacts uh, through Europe, we came in contact with uh, comrades uh, at the occupied factory of Zanon in the beginning. And one of them also visited the factory and in the beginning shared a lot of knowledge on how to self-manage in the workplace because there were many things to learn. It's a very different kind of work. That's what we have learned in all these years, that it's really important to share this knowledge on how we can work better together cooperatively because, of course, in cooperatism there are many issues that arise and it's very helpful to get feedback from similar situations happening all over the world. We have also hosted here the Euro-Mediterranean Workers' Economy. It happened here, I think, in 2018. And many workers from all over the world joined also. And it was really inspiring for something like this to happen inside the occupied factory. It was really important. Some inspiration that we have, of course, is the situation that's happening in Argentina. We always say that we want many occupied factories here in Greece, and we want to be an example to other factories. One of our inspiration right now, which is very present, is the Zapatistas community at Chiapas. The way they self-manage themselves from the way they work to the way they live is something that we find very inspiring. And uh, to be autonomous in that way, that's what we are trying to do. And we have to be inspired to continue because it is a really difficult struggle. I wanted to ask as a short follow-up before we 
proceed to the next question because we all know that of all of the countries in the Balkans and Eastern Europe, Greece has a very diverse and interesting leftist tradition overall. And you mentioned that you are in contact with the Argentinian Occupied Factory Movement. I was just curious, was this contact done specifically around Viome because people were aware that the situation is bad and that you are planning to occupy? Or was there like a bigger movement with people from other factories in Greece that wanted to have the same approach, but sadly weren't able to achieve the thing you did because you mentioned conditions the zapatistas and the others and i'm also thinking of the dita factory in uh, tuzla in bosnia herzegovina which more or less started like one or two years after you did so i'm curious if you're part of a bigger trend connected to the greek leftist tradition to be honest i don't know the answer to that i don't exactly know how that um, connection happened but in greece there were attempts kind of to occupy factories after Viome, one close to the city here at Veria, and some Viome workers went there to offer the support and to propose a solution to how they could handle the situation. But unfortunately, the workers came into some kind of agreement with the owners and in the end didn't pursue anything because they were afraid that it will fail. They didn't want to take the risk. We have also visited, I think, this occupied factory that you mentioned in the next years. And we have some kind of connection through invitations and presentations that we do, but uh, not in a regular time. Well, in that case, because you've been operating as a worker-managed co-op for almost a decade now, do you want to give us some details about how you operate, how you make decisions, assign roles, interact, achieve consensus, organize elections if those exist, etc. The <laughs> internal yeah. end connection to external <laughs> factors. Mm, yes, of course. Um, well, since we don't have bosses, we use our boss as the general assembly, the workers' assembly. It happens every morning at uh, seven when we get to work. That's where everything is discussed regarding the cooperative and uh, regarding orders, regarding the production of the products, invitations to podcasts, for example, any movements, social movements that's happening that we're going to take a part of demonstrations. Everything is said in the morning for everyone to hear and everyone is obligated to be a part of the assembly. Everyone has a vote. If we don't unanimously agree on something, we vote on it, but that doesn't usually happen. And all the decisions that are taken from the general assembly is the job that we have to do for the day. We have also a legal team that helps us with uh, the legal situation that we're facing. There is an initiative of solidarity to Viome. It's an assembly that happens every Wednesday and also some workers take place, but it's usually from solidarity people that join at Viome. And it's an initiative that was created from the beginning and it goes side by side to Viome. We do many things together. They help us a lot with uh, things outside the factory, in any support and help that we would need in spreading a message or everything. They have connections, some are journalists. The way that we choose who is going to do the work every day, it doesn't go round and round around the people. At the production phase, it's usually the workers that do the jobs like producing, and bottling and the labeling and all that stuff. And at the assembly in the morning, we say who is going to do what. We decide what we're going to produce almost every day. We're generally 10 people working here at Thessaloniki and uh, three workers are at Athens where we have our own shop to distribute our products. 
and uh, we also do an assembly with uh, the workers at Athens. They don't join every day, but uh, once in two weeks we do an assembly with them also to discuss any issues that could arise. Regarding the elections that you asked, we don't do elections. We come up with a name of lists and uh, some kind of um, voting, but uh, it's just for the legal part of the cooperative. We don't have, like, a president. There are people that have, for example, cashier, for example, that uh, looks at the economics, but uh, it's not hierarchic in any way. We've seen that it's really important not to have any differentiation in the roles and the power that one can have over the workplace. So everything is shared. Um, Also, the knowledge is shared. For example, I'm a chemist and I consult with my workers at the production for some things that I might be thinking about. I don't think that uh, I know better because I've studied stuff. We really communicate in one level and that's really important. I have a very more uh, personal question maybe, if you allow me. How does it feel to work without bosses? It's something that I didn't begin to wonder, but I started to feel (laughs) in a way. It's really interesting. It's really difficult, to be honest. You don't have the pressure or the anxiety or the bad uh, treatment that you would have from uh, a boss. It gives you all the power to make all those decisions yourself. And um, that's difficult, but also very empowering. It's those two things that make it... um, that it's never boring. It's a way to free your mind during your work. That's how I would uh, put it, for example. Because you are free to explore things that are interesting to you. You can uh, take initiatives, you can do proposals. Nothing is done without you having a say in it. And that's really great to feel that no one is forcing you to do anything You do everything out of your own free will. And this makes it even more enjoyable to be able to work in that way. Because life is challenging and we don't need that kind of pressure also in the workplace. It's a life experience that I hope many people would get. I'm filling the chat with hearts here. (laughs) (laughs) I also want just to comment that... uh... I really love that you're a chemist because, you know, like in leftist movement, sometimes people from social sciences tend to be like overrepresented. And every time I hear people like from real sciences involved in leftist stuff, it's like, yeah, <laughs> I'm a physicist. Okay, so the last thing we wanted to ask at this stage is about how things are going now with the legal situation, or I don't know how to say it, with the factory. I saw on your website, I think it's your website, that there was also like an auction not so long ago, which was cancelled. People might tend to think that it's in some way stable and it's the finished the attempts to evict you and stuff. And that's what I wanted to ask. How are things now? How often do attempts to evict you happen? And how do you resist? Well, on the 24th of June, we had uh, an attempt at the auction of the property. This has happened since 2013, I think, where we tried legally to acquire what the workers had earned all the time. I think in 2015, after the bankruptcy had continued, I think that's when the first shot of an auction of the property happened. The lawyer that is at the top of this case is really close to the family of the owners. So it was a legal fight that we had to give for basic things to be acknowledged for the workers and how the money that they owed would be parted. Since 2015, I think 20 attempts at auction have happened. Sometime in 2016, 
I think the property that Viomet works was excluded from the general auction by a government in order for it not to be given in the end. What we have tried and what we have proposed from the beginning regarding the real estate issue is uh, the confiscation of uh, the real estate and all the movable property of the owners, not from the factory, because uh, there were evidence that they had withdrew money from the companies before they declared bankruptcy. They knew this was going to happen and they moved the assets. So we asked for that to be confiscated against the huge uh, amounts that were owned by the company. After that, we uh, wanted for the real estate to be leased or rent to the cooperative so that we can continue the production. And uh, the property that I mentioned before, which is where the cooperative is uh, operating, we wanted to be confiscated and to be given to the cooperative so that we can um, get on with the total uh, legalization of uh, Viomet. That was our proposal. There were many also meetings at the office of the Minister of Labour all over these years during different governments, but none of them actually gave a solution to our situation. We have gone there with uh, written business plans about uh, Viome and how it's a viable factory and uh, the case that we make all these years and um, we always just uh, stay with promises like we've seen all these years they just keep attacking the struggle the initiative it's with uh, the auction that's still happening it's also with the water they cut off the water in the early beginning in uh, 2019 they also got our power supply They said that we were illegal, even though we have tried many times to make a connection in the cooperative's name. But because the property is not owned by us, they couldn't uh, do that. Through all those struggles, how we've managed to stay alive and uh, go on, it's really amazing. It's all due to the solidarity movement that's, as I said before, with VMA since uh, the beginning, because without all the support from other workers' unions, from social movements, uh, from universities, from professionals, all the support that we had has only made our case even stronger and uh, has given us much more strength to continue. We are trying to find solutions with the legalization issue. Now we want to restart our legal team to try a new approach for the auctions and what the workers are going to request from the mother company, the owners, because it is an issue that's been put off for long. Imagine that some of the workers here are not even still officially unemployed from the mother company. For the auctions, for example, the way that we manage to block it is we usually do some protests some days before or some events to notify people and to bring the subject around again. And we do a calling. We go ourselves at the courthouse that day and uh, we try to be by the door to see if anyone is interested by the property. We want the property to go to the government and then to be shared with us, not to be given to another owner. And also with um, power supply, like I said before, the way that we managed in the end to have power is Also because of the solidarity movement that supported our crowdfunding campaign and we managed to secure two generators that uh, fill our production needs. It's really all about that. VMA wouldn't be here without the support of the society and it wouldn't have the support of the society if it wasn't an open factory like this and in the middle of the social movement and also hosting many events for many teams and collectives, festivals, 
it's what a colleague of mine says that uh, it really hit me some time ago. He said, do you understand that we're not going to live here? And I said, how can you be so sure things uh, can go to shit very easily uh, with this government and the attacks? And he said, we're not going to end because the society needs us to continue. People use our products daily. We won't end. We won't fade away. We are here. We have supporters and we will continue. That's the important thing. Yeah, I hope I answered your question. Yeah, that was great. Thanks. This has been great so far. Like, thanks so much. <laughs> okay. I, I don't remember English very uh, well. but um, No, it was very good. It was very good. No, it's great. If I got this right, before uh, occupying the factory, you produced paints, building materials, and the likes. And in time, you refocused on other products, soaps, and especially cleaning products. What were the considerations behind this decision? Were they financial or environmental or a bit of both? Or what led you in this direction? The workers didn't have any expertise in uh, anything other than the building materials. But uh, it wasn't a viable way to continue because uh, there was no construction done in the crisis. And uh, they decided that the production had to change through solidarity assemblies and uh, thinking, of course, about uh, the environment. That was a very important thing for us. We decided that what the society needed was uh, cleaners. First, it was cleaners and soaps, natural, because we don't believe that you need harsh fragrances or very expensive scented uh, stuff to clean everything. Cleaning materials are very overpriced. And uh, that's how it began. Many experiments were done through traditional recipes from grandmas and grandpas in the past of how uh, you could clean stuff inside the house and it was this thought in mind to go back to the roots which was a way much less um, harmful to the environment and basically exactly to do its use to have uh, its purpose it wasn't mixed with uh, marketing games and stuff So that's what they had in mind, and as the years went by, one uh, supporter from Italy, who is an expert on uh, ecological products, came in contact with us, and uh, through collaboration with our then chemists, they decided on uh, an ecological product line with biodegradable raw materials that is also not harmful to the environment. It's a bit more expensive, but anyone can decide what line they choose to use. I think pretty much that's how we came to where we are now. Many trials and fails, many things um, communicated through producers of products, of natural products, for example, how to make uh, diffused oils to use at the soaps. We learned from a producer there, and that's how it's progressed to what it is now. So, because you you have been like working on co-op for almost a decade, and uh, especially through the economic crisis, Greece went through or is going through. Probably it's more accurate to say. Can you share some I don't know insights about how it is participating in the global market, basically or the national market as a co-op? How have you managed to hang on or even thrive? And I think this is also relevant because uh, you know there's this kind of preconception that uh, you need an entrepreneur to innovate and stuff. And if you have a co-op, then it's not going to be competitive or innovative enough or whatever that bullshit. And this is also nice because you not only went with something that you learned before but you change completely the products that you are doing. And this is also very interesting, you know, from this perspective. Yes, yes. It's, uh, it's really impressive. As a chemist, speaking just a little, the products are really good. And some recipes, I can't even understand how they came up with them. Um, in the market, well, to be honest, in the beginning, for people to start to know our products, we... 
literally did trips to almost every city in Greece and to small shops with uh, bioproducts and natural products. And we were giving our products for them to try and then if they wanted to use. That's how it started in the beginning and uh, the connections that we have made through those years from uh, the Euro-Mediterranean assembly that happened and uh, many other events, solidarity events. We have also made a market, if you would, in Europe. We have many cooperatives there that uh, support us and have our products at their cooperative stores. Almost 50% of our production gets sent abroad, mainly to Germany and France, also to Austria and Italy, not so often. But that's how it started in the beginning. We tried to introduce ourselves to the Greek small shops. We never wanted to be in the shelves of supermarkets, big supermarkets where our products would be overpriced. We always tell our buyers that they can resell our products with a top of 40% of the price that they are buying it to ensure somehow a fair trade economy to our products. And now imagine that we are at the stage where shops find us and uh, they request our products and they want to try them and put them in their shops. This was also another vision that the workers had when they started through the solidarity economy, if you will. Like, for example, some uh, people in Germany want to start a cooperative. They can supply cooperative products and sell them there. And if they skip up, They can hire more people. In this way, somehow, our products traveling can create uh, more fair and better working places for people. And that's something that has happened in uh, Germany with the cooperative, in Berlin and in Frankfurt. Some people came to the factory, saw the initiative, and spread the word to their cities, and people started asking for products, and that's how they established themselves in the end. Pretty much uh, this way, that's how we survive in the market. We don't do commercials and stuff. We use, of course, social media, not only for the products, but for any announcement that we might have. These are our tools. (laughs) Of course, there are people that support us and don't know the struggle. It's just an environmental choice for them because most of the products, the ecological line, are much cheaper than the ones that are in the market and equally effective and better. (laughs) These are our crowds, uh, people that support us and also the initiative and people that just want to clean their houses and themselves safer. And to build up on this, we would like to know something extra, maybe, if possible. For example, your suppliers. Do you know if it's possible for them to be 100% co-op as well? Also, if you try to buy off other co-ops, your supplies? Yes, some products that are produced in Greece, like for example the olive oil that we use for the soaps. We get it from a cooperative at uh, Lesbos and some other stuff that are local, for example the salt also that we use comes from another place in Greece. It's not very easy to find the quantities that we need from producers and unfortunately cooperatives that can fill our needs sometimes are not available. As much as we can, we try to search for local and fair trade companies and suppliers. I'm also curious because you are well known, at least in leftist circles, like you mentioned, I mean... Some people just get the products because they're good. Does this um, fame help you in any way? I mean, the first part, you mentioned that a group of workers wanted to buy their company, but in the end, that didn't work out, although you're offering some help. So, But for example, would people show up when you resist an eviction or would there be like a general mobilization to help you with the legal stuff or whatever you have to do? or on the contrary, 
does all of this fame and attention affect you negatively by not managing to fly under the radar of the state, for example, or having problem with this supply chain, or who knows, maybe even with some leftists being too critical of you for simply doing co-op capitalism or something like that? To be honest, what you said at last, we have heard, there is uh, also this kind of criticism, but it's not something that we can argue on. <laughs> what I want to say is that this fame has only done us good. As I said before, we want it to be a factory open to the society. We want as many people as possible to know our struggle, because it's a fair struggle, and um, to support this initiative. So it's really important for us to be heard, if you will. This has also accompanied the support in many, as you said, um, auctions that tried to happen, at demonstrations, uh, events, concerts. It is a hotspot for many events that can happen in the city. And, yeah, no, it only has helped us. We didn't have any problem uh, with suppliers. We are very punctual when we pay them back and stuff. So we didn't have a problem with that. I want to add regarding a very previous question, but now it got to me. There are some problems, there are some raw materials that we can't get because uh, we don't actually have a production license. We're not actually licensed to produce all these cleaners and soaps because uh, the site that we operate is not uh, acknowledged as our base of operation. And that's why we had some problems uh, with some raw materials because we are not actually licensed to produce all, all the stuff. But in the end, we found a way, and uh, if one supplier refused us, we found a way to work with another one. So far, as long as I'm here, at least, we didn't have a problem. Some suppliers also, some people that I talk with, with the raw materials also know our struggle. Some also get our products. It's a fair struggle as I said before, and that's why it's really difficult for people to try to make it even harder <laughs> for you. Most of them uh, realize that what you're doing is very sensible and uh, they want to help. As we are uh, approaching the end, I want to ask you something about advice, but maybe before, I'll share a small anecdote. My dad used to work in a factory that made uh, shoes. He was a mechanic. It was a company owned by an Italian boss. The company in Romania was like uh, not the same entity. It was like, I don't know how you say it, like a different entity than the main main firm. Uh, so what they did was each year they sent the profits back to Italy to the main firm. In the meanwhile, the firm here in Romania always uh, accrued debts and stuff, but they didn't pay them off. They just sent the profits to Italy. And then one year, they just simply said they didn't pay for like two months. They didn't pay the salaries or more months. I don't remember exactly. And uh, then they declared bankruptcy and they left. And uh, it was like a, a situation. I remember that I was thinking about you, about the and whether they could uh, try to actually occupy or buy the factory, the machines, not the factory, because the building was uh, rented. But uh, because they filed bankruptcy, the machine uh, became in the hands of a bank, I think, which auctioned them off afterwards. I was thinking about like telling him, Dad, you know all the stuff. I mean, he used to go to Italy to negotiate with uh, like potential customers and stuff. So I, they knew everything. The boss did not do anything like in the last years. The workers knew how to do 100% of everything. And uh, I really tried to <laughs> insinuate this idea to maybe, you know, you could run it yourselves, you know, and then in the end, they didn't do it. And also, I know at some point in Romania, there existed a law that actually uh, afforded... Uh, the right to buy, or how do you say it, for workers, like to, for them to be offered the first, uh, or the opportunity to buy the workers before auctioning the stuff out, I think. So I don't know I, if I remember well, this used to be a law in Romania. I don't know if it's still the case. Maybe someone who is listening to the podcast can comment on the episode. But I, I just remember thinking about uh, VOMA and how this was like a perfect situation to occupy the factory. And uh, But honestly, they didn't even think about it. So this is what I want to ask. What advice would you give to someone that is like in your situation that you were in 2013? 
maybe like the factory went bankrupt or something like that and the workers were contemplating occupation. Yeah, sorry, this was a long question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's okay. I'm sad that factory didn't work out. Yeah. As an advice, it's really important to think that there is another way that you can work and that you can live in the end, but first that you can work. Most of the people, like you said, they didn't think that they could do it. That's something that we're also doing here, that we're spreading the word. It is something that you can't do. It doesn't have a manual. There isn't a right or wrong way. But uh, how we have conceived all this that has happened is, as I've said so many times in this podcast, to be open to the society. There is nothing that you can do by yourself without asking the support of the society that you're in. So I think that's the most important thing, to think that you can do it and then to believe that you can. And uh, there is a network of uh, cooperatives. There is uh, help and support among us. It can get a very sentimental question. I'm trying to stay inside the lines. That's in so little words to believe that you can do something differently, that there is another way. Because you have been doing stuff that somebody told you to do all your life doesn't mean that you cannot decide. Work can get a new meaning. It can be something creative. It can be something that you can look for to do and not just a task that we have adjusted in our everyday lives that drains us so much <laughs> of life. It's a very big risk also. You have to have some guts to be in a cooperative. That's something a, a co-worker told me when I first joined because I am uh, very sensitive. And he said it's hard. You need to toughen up. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's all. You have to trust your co-workers. You have to be very open. You have to say what's on your mind. You have to express yourself to want to be a part in all of that because um, if the interest of the ones involved changes and it's not the same for everyone, then it does create some kind of hierarchy where some people put in more work than others. So you have to be very committed to that. Like I said, it is a different way of working, but... Uh, It shows you also a different way of living and uh, connecting with people and working with people and collaborating and respecting each other. All those beautiful things that come from uh, solidarity. I'm almost crying. This is so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think pretty much that. The technical stuff you find in the way, you really do have to believe that first to begin. Since you've touched a bit of being in a different community based on solidarity, and since I visited you in April, which I'm forever thankful for everyone, you were amazing. I would like to know, and I've seen actually, that you also work as a community center there. There are things that happen in the factory with the society also, many events are happening, and I think also that recently there is another space opened by an ex-co-worker, Oh, yes. Will you collaborate? Do you have like events uh, occurring there at the factory often? Yes, actually, as I said, we wanted the factory to be open to the society and we had a calling for other teams or cooperatives or any group of people that wanted to start something to start it uh, at one of the spaces that we don't use at the factory. And... Um, A group of people proposed that they want to create a um, cultural center with some workshops and events and um, concerts and food. And uh, that has started since June of this year. And uh, every Friday, Saturday and Sunday, there were events happening at the factory. It was really nice to have all these people come again after all this time of being all by ourselves here because of the pandemic. It's really nice. We have more space. We want 
even more teams to come here and be made, be even more empowered because uh, that's also how we secure that we're going to stay here. The more that we establish ourselves and more teams and more people, we make our case uh, stronger. Yeah, it's a great initiative that started and we hope it goes well. How can people, especially outside of Greece, so in Europe, but also outside of uh, the EU, how could they find your products? And uh, how can we support you in general? Our products can be found in some places in Europe, but you could contact us at our email for specific information because um, you won't find it very easily. There are some shops are at eShop, but uh, at our blog page, I'm sorry. But we can uh, help you more specifically if you get in contact with us. We can send products to individuals abroad, but the transportation cost is a lot. So a personal communication uh, can help to find a way if someone wants to get their products outside of Greece. You can uh, spread the word about Biomed. That's uh, really important. We have also the crowdfunding campaign that we did for the power. It's still open because we still have many expenses with fuel that we buy to continue our work. So any contribution to that is helpful. And uh, of course, everyone is invited at the factory if they want to come by and see it in person and uh, give a tour of the uh, place. Kobe, what are you doing next summer? We can go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I was thinking about maybe next summer. <laughs> and you were saying that you have some space where we can set up a studio for the podcast there. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so does anyone have some additional questions that you didn't note down something? I would have a, a more specific question about having products, for example, here in Romania. So you said you don't send to individuals, but for example, you could send to us a bigger amount or something like that? Yes, of course. You can do a group order mm-hmm. and we can put it all in uh, some boxes and send it. First, we can also get a kind of estimation from uh, the transportation company regarding the cost. Yeah. So we can see if it is worth it or not. But for sure, a bigger order means less transportation cost. That was my, just the logistics question. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, accepting our invitation and offering your time and energy and sharing uh, some of the lessons that you have learned and your experience. And we will definitely take up that offer to visit you maybe next summer. Yeah, and we salute all the comrades from the factory. I will give them your greetings. Uh, thank you very much again for inviting us. It's really nice to talk with you about Biomed. And um, I hope to see you in person someday at the factory. What music, lady? That's all for now. Before we leave you, just a quick shout out to everyone whose work has contributed to this episode. The music is uh, the song At Utopia's Fiesta by the band Social Waste. We thank them for letting us use their song. They are a very interesting band. We recommend that you check them up. And actually the video clip of the song was filmed at uh, Viomed, the factory. The artwork is based on the cover art of one of the VMS products, a bar of soap, with some additional editing and tweaking by us. And as always, uh, we used uh, clips and sound bites from Kevin McLeod's Incompetech website. Just to reiterate, if you want to support VMA, follow them on social media and everywhere uh, where you can find the news about the factory and the struggle. And if you have the financial means, uh, please buy some of their products. It's not uh, an incredibly revolutionary direct action, but uh, it has a direct and uh, quantifiable impact in supporting the struggle. We hope that this episode was inspiring and informative. Until next time, stay safe and take care of yourselves and each other.
είναι καθημερινή μπορεί και αργία Φάτανε κάποια Κυριακή, κάποια Δευτέρα Σε κάποιο πήμα του Λόρκα, στους και του Ριβέρα Στη θάλασσα του Χιγμέρ, στα λόγια του Γκαλεάνο Και πριν καλά καλά σε βρω πάντα σε χάνω Φάτανε καθημερινή μπορεί και αργία Πλακάτ πανόκρατος πιστών και απεργία Σε κάποιο στίχο του Ακυπάνου, του Ρασούλη που φωνάζει Κι όμως αλλάζει και μάλ, κι όμως αλλάζει Όσο σημώνω μακραίνει και έτσι ποτέ δεν τη φτάνω Απιάστε ωραία ουτοπία, καλά τα λέει ο Γκαλεάνο Μα όταν γιορτάζει, καινούργιους δρόμους μου τάζει Κι αρχίζω πάλι να πιστεύω πως ο κόσμος αλλάζει Κι αμφισβητώ τον Γεμάλ, αμφισβητώ και το Μάνο Στεκώ στις μύτες των ποδιών αλλά και πάλι δεν φτάνω Είναι το παιχνίδι παλιό, κι αν θες το νόημα να βρούμε Πρέπει λιγάκι ακόμα ψηλότερα να σηκωθούμε Οι ποιητές μας τα έχουν πει, του παιχνιδιού τους κανόνες Τους έχουν γράψει με πορφυρή μελάνι αιώνες Όπως και τότε στη Χιλή, θα τα νεών σε δεσεπιέμπρε Κι είπες χαλάλι και χάσταλα βικτόρια σιέμπρε Ήσαν και τώρα που μου είπαν πως είδανε στην Ινδία Μαζεύες ήλιο και αέρα μου λύτυξη πολυταρία Είμαι ένα κόκκινο μπερέ, σιχάνε δει μια φορά Ήσουν να λέξει στο στόμα του το μάσαν καρά Κι ακόμα τώρα σε βλέπουν κι όλο τον κόσμο ρωτάνε Είδον Κιχώτη και Σάντσι που πάνε Γίνε σε μάισα σελήνη, νύχτα χαράζεις πορεία Και την ημέρα αφήνεις και ταξιδεύουμε στα στεία Φάτανε κάποια Κυριακή, κάποια Δευτέρα Σε κάποιο πήμα του Λόρια, στους πίνακες του Ριβέρα Στη θάλασσα του Χιγμέρ, στα λόγια του Γκαλεάνο Και πριν καλά καλά σε βρω πάντα σε χάνω Φάτανε καθημερινή, μπορεί και αργία Πλακάτ πανόκρατος κλειστών και απεργία Σε κάποιο στίχο του Ακυπάνου, του Ρασούλη που φωνάζει κι όμως αλλάζει και μάλ, κι όμως αλλάζει Σε φωγηρέψει καιρό, πήρα από πίσω τα ίχνη Σε ψάξα μέχρι τη διάβα, σαν τάρτες μες στην ομίχλη Στο σύνταγμα στην πλατεία, σε ψηλαφίσαν μιλούνια Και πιο πριν στην Ιβυρική πλασάς Δελσόλ και Καταλούνια Στο Μισήρι και στο Τούνε ζήσουν φλόγα και φως Στο Μεξικό σε βγάλανε, γιος ο Ισέν το τρενταϊδός Ρίχνει τα πέπλα η σαλόμι, το κεφάλι στο πιάτο Μα δεν μασάει, στο Σαντιάγκο και στο Μοντρεάλ Γιατί παιδεία είναι αγαθό δημόσιο και δωρεάν Στην Αρχεντίνα οδοφράγματα Σαν τον παλιό καιρό στην Κοτσαβάμπα Δεν πουλιέτε ρε κουφάλες στο νερό Σαν Μάη του 68 χρόνια να έρθει σε περιμένο Σαν τραγούδι το Σκαρσάβες απαγορευμένο Ήσουν βιβλίο που το βάλαν φυλακή στην Τουρκία Και ανταποκριτής νεκρός στη Χόμ στη Συρία Αλλού σε λένε Σαπάτα και αλλού του Πακατάρι Αλλού Σαντίνο, αλλού Φάτανε κάποια Κυριακή, κάποια Δευτέρα Σε κάποιο πήμα του Λόρκα, στους πίνακες του Ριβέρα Στη θάλασσα του Χιγμέρ, στα λόγια του Γκαλεάνο Και πριν καλά καλά σε βρω πάντα σε χάνω Φάτανε καθημερινή μπορεί και αργία Πλακάτ πανόκρατος κλειστών και απεργία Σε κάποιο στίχο του Ακυπάνου, του Ρασούλη που φωνάζει Κι όμως αλλάζει και μάλ, κι όμως αλλάζει Φάτανε κάποια Κυριακή, κάποια Δευτέρα Φάτανε καθημερινή μπορεί και αργία Κι όμως αλλάζει, κι όμως αλλάζει